Thanks for checking out the Tennessee Holler Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Subscribe to and support the Holler at www.tnholler.com to help us fearlessly yell the truth about Tennessee. And be sure to subscribe to the growing family of Holler Podcasts while you're there. You can also follow the Holler on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the TN Holler. Tennessee. 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 Lord, I've really been real stressed. Welcome back to another Tennessee Holler live stream here at TNHoller.com is where you can find us at the TN Holler on Twitter and Facebook. Also, follow all the hollers throughout the state. We just added another one in Murray County. Obviously, Chattanooga, Knoxville, Memphis, Harrogate, Murfreesboro, Cookville. We're all over the place, and that's thanks to your support. So thank you so much for that. We really appreciate it. Your subscribing to our feed and your monthly donations really help. Today, we have two guests. I just want to get right into it with them, Councilman Bob Mendez and former federal prosecutor, still bulldog. Is that a bulldog, a nice word? I don't know. Attorney Alex Little. Is that an okay thing to say, Bulldog? You know, I, we, lawyers have been called far worse, Justin. Okay, good. All right. So everybody knows about the tragedy in Nashville. We have all been processing it for five or so days now. But last night, there was what I will call, I don't want to say bombshell report because that's tasteless, but a big report. The headline was, Girlfriend Warned Nashville Police Anthony Warner Was Building Bomb a Year Ago. So the gist of the story is that his girlfriend reported he was making bombs in a vehicle. The police showed up, even though Tennessee Bureau of Investigation said he wasn't on our radar. They showed up that he was on the police's radar. A lawyer had been had told them that he was making bombs that had a proficiency for it, and they did nothing. And now we are still waiting to hear from them. The two questions seem to be, and I'm going to let you guys talk in a minute, seem to be, you know, who knew about this and also why didn't they say anything in the aftermath? Councilman Mendez, let's start with you. What was your reaction when you read this report? Well, you, you know, you, you outlined the, the two big issues are um, what happened in August of 2019 that this didn't get investigated further. And mm -hmm. then really this week is uh, it, it looks like MNPD um, had to have uh, made the connection um, by either Christmas day or, no later than the day after Christmas, based on when I think public records requests were made. And yet the, they never shared the information other than um, by answering public records requests four or five days later. In between, you know, there were multiple press conferences where you had the quote, um, TBI at least is quoted as saying that he wasn't on TBI's radar. Um, it, it begs a lot of questions about um, how come this information took so long to get out and, uh, and, and why did it take a public records request from media to get it out? Why didn't MNPD just volunteer it? Right. And so, Alex, let's turn to you. You have been posting threads on Twitter at AlexLittleTN <laughs> and, and Bob, you're at MendezBob that everybody should follow, both of you. Uh, this one in particular seems to have stuck in your craw, I think mainly because of what Bob said, that they should have been more forthcoming with this. Let's let's start with I want to ask you more of a procedural question since, yeah. you know, you were a federal prosecutor before we talk about why they didn't mention it. Let's talk about the process that they went through when they heard from the girlfriend. When you read this article and it talked about the process, 
were there any problems with the way they handled this and should they have been more assertive with dealing with him when she reported him? I can't emphasize what a colossal and ridiculously bad um, investigation to the extent you could call it that was here. This was probably the greatest, you know, you remember back in the day, there was the investigation to the girl's death. They focused on the wrong guy. Bob may remember the name and it's, it's escaping me here. It was a murder of a young girl. And it was a huge sort of embarrassment to law enforcement about how badly they bungled that case. This to me, 50, 60 years later, is probably the next best example. Everything they did was wrong. And what I mean was after going to the scene, there are so many things they could have done differently. But I think the clearest thing was you had a pretty credible report of someone specifically describing an individual you know, making a bomb. And maybe if it was just someone that you could assume on the scene was a jilted girlfriend, there's a whole issue around the way that police don't believe women. But I'll set that aside. Apparently, they had his own lawyer tell them this guy knows how to make bombs and he talks about it all the time. You know, Don Aaron put in his statement they didn't have evidence and they couldn't, they didn't have any authorization to go search his property. That's true, but it's only because they didn't try to get it. They absolutely would have been able to get a search warrant based solely on a good write-up of those two interviews and the fact that there was an RV. There's also an interesting question because RVs are vehicles. They sometimes don't need a search warrant. Now, here it was on his property, so they probably did to get through the fence. But any decent law enforcement investigation would have included a search warrant for that RV. The fact they didn't do it is a massive and colossal screw-up, and somebody at MNPD needs to take responsibility for that. Councilman Mendez, you have posted about this today, and you know we've seen a lot of people mention something that I think is on a lot of people's minds, which is if this had been a Muslim man or a person who is not a white man, would they have been afforded the same privacy, I guess I would say. And is that something that you feel like is a valid criticism in this case? Well, yes, is a short answer. Um, you know, the, the PR guy for the uh, Metro National Police Department, his name is Don Aaron. Don has held the job for a long time and he's uh, widely regarded as being as much a cheerleader for the police department as he is somebody who provides all the facts. And sometimes that's in conflict. A lot of days it's not in conflict. Sometimes it's in conflict. And there are, um, you know, this isn't, this isn't the first incident. There are other incidents in the past, notably when there, there have been police shootings of uh, black men. Um, you get evidence shown up on Twitter inside an hour um, mm -hmm. or what purports to be evidence showing up on uh, Twitter. Character assassination, right. Right. You get you get mug shots, you get pictures of weapons involved before there's any context whatsoever. Um, Mr. Aaron will be on offense uh, pro police department. And I'm all in favor of being pro police department right up until it gets in the way of getting the full truth out. And, and this appears at first blush. You know, we're waiting to hear from uh, the police department today. We're waiting to hear from the mayor. But it appears at first blush to be another example of Don Aaron letting um, his zeal for uh, defending the reputation of the police department get in the way of telling the whole truth. Right, and uh, go ahead, Alex. I want to respond to that because I do think, you know, Don Aaron has a boss and his name is Chief Drake. And Chief Drake is new to this job and he's talked about trying to change the perspective and change the way that MNPD is viewed by the community. He failed his first big test miserably. 
There is no way that he didn't, that statement went out without his approval. And I think that the only thing he should have said, the only thing he could have said that would have been appropriate is we really screwed this up. We should have stopped it and we didn't. And that sort of accountability is what you have to take when you're in that position. And Chief Drake did not take it. Right. And he let, and they let, sorry, I, I just wanted to say, you know, we should be able to criticize the police department while also praising the heroism of the officers. Just because we're being critical of the police department does not mean in any way we are discounting these six officers that put themselves in harm's way. And by the same token, because they were heroic, that doesn't mean there aren't also problems with policing in Nashville and in America. So Bob, go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, and that's a good point. You know, in in my council role, um, I've been uh, critical of police department leadership um, over the years. Um, but I, I've always been supportive of the officers on the street. I've, I've been at the forefront, frankly, of trying to um, get them and, and other Metro employees paid better um, to, uh, because every police officer goes to work not knowing whether they're coming home. And that's, that's, a, that's a big burden. Um, and, and we should all be appreciative of the service. Um, but back to Chief Drake, um, you know, there are moments in time over the last four or five days that you really got to wonder what was going on. And for example, um, I believe that the press conference over the weekend where TBI said that Warner wasn't on our radar, I believe Chief Drake was present. And um, and, in the timeline that's still developing, it would appear um, that uh, um, he he may have been, uh, he may have known about the interactions with Warner in August of 2019. And if that's what pans out, it is very difficult um, to, um, to, to be happy with the idea that TBI would be sitting there saying, nope, not on our radar. And uh, our chief of police just sits on his hands and, and doesn't say anything. And Alex, sorry. two explanations for that. One, it was technically true. The reporting that we've seen so far doesn't suggest that any report went to TBI. You wouldn't expect it to. The FBI takes the lead in those cases. It would have been referred to the FBI. It appears that it was. That's a whole separate failure. The FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force absolutely dropped the ball, and heads need to roll there for whoever was supervising this at that time. But So TBI might have been telling the truth, technically, or they might not have known. Either of those sort of conclusions is just incredibly damning about the leadership at Metro Nashville Police Department. Mayor Cooper was also there. We haven't talked about what he knew, but it would also be surprising if Chief Drake knew this and didn't tell the mayor. And if he knew it and didn't, what does that say about sort of civil police relations where we are now? I mean, every piece of this puzzle makes the leadership of the police department look absolutely horrible. And it does feel like we're pulling the first string right now and that there will be other strings to pull. But you seem to have a better perspective on this than most. And my question to you would be, how much can we expect to find in terms of a paper trail with this stuff? Do is there Are there always emails? Is there always stuff to be found from FOIA requests? Or is it often that there are a lot of missing pieces to the puzzle that we'll just never know. So it's the difference between a well-investigated and well-papered case versus a case that is really not handled correctly. They said they sent this name to FBI. FBI ran a database search. There should be an FBI report about that. 
You can't get those records through the Federal Freedom of Information Act generally because of the law enforcement exceptions. We won't see what the FBI did. I do think that is probably something that should be looked into at the congressional level. I think Congressman Cooper should talk about whether they hold a hearing on the FBI's failures here. Uh, but at the state level, locally, you would expect paperwork to come back with at least the documentation that we've talked to FBI. Here's what they said. None of that was provided. It was either not provided because it really looks bad and they wanted to find an exemption or just not turn it over yet, get the story out in pieces, or because it was never done. Based on what they did do, which was next to nothing, I would lean much more likely towards uh, there's no paperwork at all because this was blown off so quickly. They said, oh, you know, she's a crazy girlfriend. He won't talk to us. Let's go home. And if that's what happened here, it just it reinforces some really bad stereotypes about the way that policing is biased. And, and I'll stop here, but Chief Anderson used to really complain when you'd say that law enforcement has structural bias. And that was a huge debate about the, the report around how often folks were stopped based on the color of their skin. This case is exhibit A for what happens when you do not effectively combat implicit bias in a police department. Second Avenue is a crater because police treated a white 63-year-old differently than a 34-year-old Muslim. There's no way you can argue otherwise. And that's an incredible indictment of everything that the leadership at Metro National Police Department has been saying for the last three years. I think that's really well said. Councilman Mendez, what is the role of a councilman or the city council in this uh, situation? You know, A, when it comes to the event itself, but also this follow-up. Well, anything related to the police department, I think the role of the council, you can break it into two categories. One, the technical legal control is not much. Um, the Under our Metro Charter, the chief of police is chosen by the mayor and council has no role whatsoever. And then also under the charter, the chief of police is the one who sets policy for the police department. So we can't pass a law um, that uh, could force policy changes in the police department. Um, so a lot of us um, uh, choose the avenue of, uh, to whatever extent we've got a, a bully pulpit um, or a little bit of a platform from being one of 40 council members, um, you know, that, that's a, an avenue we have to, um, to talk frankly about um, what goes on in the police department. And the, the honest truth is for the 35 district council members, um, they, um, uh, they they need day-to-day -day patrolling in their districts and often um, feel the need to treat police department issues with kid gloves. Um, I think the at-large members are um, uh, more free to um, uh, be direct about issues related to policing. I, we can see your comments, so please keep commenting along if you have any questions for these gentlemen while we have them here for another 10 minutes or so. I've got a question for Bob, and I don't know okay. if Council have any capacity to hold hearings or issue subpoenas of any sort? Is it just, I assume it's just a kind request, come talk to us about this issue? Um, there is built into the charter a capacity to issue subpoenas. Um, I have been, for, for investigations, um, and and the if, if you read the charter like you would, like a lawyer would, you would get the impression that it's um, meant for situations where the legislative branch, the council, feels the executive branch isn't doing the job. The reality is in 50 some years of Metro, I am told by people who've been around a long time that council has never exercised that power ever. Um, and you know th that's a whole nother 
long, sort of boring, technical, legal conversation. Well, unique circumstances. Vote. I'll put in my vote that this should be your first, and I'm happy to help with the investigation because it's, I mean, it, it, nor have you blown up Second Avenue in the last 50 years. Right, exactly. It's so true. Uh, a couple of tweets that I just wanted to flash across the screen. This is Councilwoman Ginny Well saying, is there ever a time where white male isn't privileged? What does it take to have him held accountable? Tequila Johnson says, I'm not going to pretend to be shocked that they withheld information about the bomber. I'm shocked how many people are shocked to find out our system favors white men, which is a fair point. Brian, a lawyer, Stevenson said, MMPD will drive an undercover truck by your house, swap out your trash can and dig through your refuse looking for evidence of a crime if they think you sell drugs. But for a bombing suspect, they don't really do it. Uh, the question I have for both of you, and this is something I think you've at least Bob has weighed in on. So I'll start with you, Bob. Um, the idea that this may or may not be terrorism, like there may be some motive that we're going to find out about down the line that somehow would keep this from being classified as terrorism seems to be an is at issue right now. You were asked about it, you said, by national publications, and you declared emphatically yes, which I completely agree with. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Is this terrorism? And if so, why? Sure. The, as I understand it, the FBI's definition of domestic terrorism is a violent act in furtherance of an ideological goal um, that, that could either be religious, um, social, um, uh, and, and there's a few other things on the list that are pretty all-encompassing. And, and my reason for saying yes is that while we don't know the motive right now, um, to be perfectly blunt, there's about 10,000 ways to kill yourself um, that don't require a fireball in the yeah. downtown. Um, and, um, and, and I don't know what, what his object, but I, I'm, I'm willing to make the conclusion that, um, there, there is a, a motivation. There is a point he was trying to make mm -hmm. that will make it qualify as domestic terrorism. And Alex, as a former federal prosecutor, uh, what do you think about the declaration and also like what technically does it change? Right. So I actually, um, I did another long thread on this point too. <laughs> Because there are 109, at least 109 different definitions of terrorism in federal law in different parts of the code. And they all have different purposes. And the FBI one's actually a little bit different because the federal statute is 18 U.S.C. 2331, which defines domestic terrorism. And it's not just violence for a political end. It is violence that appears to be intended to have that political end. And so that appears to language is sort of unique in federal law. It doesn't exist in state law or some other places. And so the reason that the, the Congress chose that is because they didn't want to get into, you know, a defense that somebody says, well, it may look like I was promoting Islamic terrorism, but actually I did it because I was mad at, you know, the World Trade Center for whatever reason. And so that appears to be language here to me absolutely is invoked by the scale and the size of the attack and the timing on Christmas Day. All of those things appear to be intended to, to further some political purpose. And so I think under that federal statute, again, there's a lot of different reasons it, it matters. It would certainly apply. The insurance question is also gonna be one. The federal government, the only real certification, if the FBI certifies, it doesn't really change much. There's not gonna be a criminal case, we think, unless we find out about some you know, collaborators, which there's no evidence of. But the insurance question will matter because some of those places downtown will have terrorism insurance, some won't. And whether the terrorism exception applies is um, dictated by a federal certification that the, sec the Secretary of the Treasury does. Um, and so that determination may determine if we get millions more dollars to help rebuild or not. Okay. So that, that's actually really helpful to hear. I'm going to get you guys out of here on this. I want to ask you each this question, and we'll start with you, Councilman Mendez. Uh, 
who, if you could ask somebody a question or two, who would it be and what would the question be right now in the wake of the report that the girlfriend had reported him? Well, um, for the highest levels of MNPD, um, who set policy, who set procedures, obviously this is graded a loss. Um, and, and that's being, uh, I mean, that's being really generous to grade it a loss. Uh, as, as Alex pointed out, the guy's lawyer said, the guy's lawyer said that he was building bombs in there and that he knew how to do it. And, and so any, any way you judge it, it's graded a loss. Um, and, and so I, I want to know what the city, um, what, what the policymakers in the police department are going to do to, to work on procedures. And, um, and, and then I would like to see at some level an acknowledgement from the police department that, yeah, if it had been drugs instead of bombs or a 35-year-old Muslim man um, rather than a 63-year-old white guy, it, it would have triggered different levels of, of alarm. I, I, I think I've been at the forefront of wanting more knowledge about implicit bias from the police department for a long time, and this just adds to the pile. I think that's a good point. I color me skeptical that we're ever going to see anything like that. Alex, who would you be asking questions to and what would the questions be? Well, this is one that the city council could subpoena. It's, I think, Captain Alexander. He's the head of the Specialized Investigations Division. I would ask why his folks didn't do more and what they're going to do to ensure they don't have a similar issue with bias in the future. I'd also ask, and our council won't be able to touch this person, but the case agent at the Joint Terrorism Task Force, the special agent who was assigned and who got this lead from Metro Police, uh, why didn't you do anything with it? I think those two people have a lot to share about this. Well, I would like those answers also. I know that reporters are staying on this. I think uh, Natalie Allison and the Tennessean team deserve a lot of credit for the report. Also, again, and Jason Steen posted this a few days ago. Just as a tweet, he didn't get his FOIA request answered, but I do want to shout him out because that is uh, time-stamped and on Twitter you can see it. He did sort of report this. And Jason, full disclosure, I do some legal work for Scoop Nashville, which is Jason's publication. Okay. Jason actually had done an interview with the girlfriend that he reported um, that same day, and I think responsibly sat on it till he got that request back. Metro is, never likes to kind of give them information at Scoop Nashville. They don't view it as legitimate publication, but he did a ton of work, and I think um, this is a great example of the, the amount of good journalists we have in this town. Well, as the holler, we can relate to not being treated <laughs> as you know regular journalists right. all the time, so I, I definitely empathize with Jason, do you think we'll be able to hear that interview at some point? I think he's working on getting it published as well. All right. Well, if he needs a home for it, we're happy to, we'll, we'll amplify it. I know he's got Scoop Nashville, so he doesn't need us. Both of you, I want to thank you both. Uh, I, I don't think this is the last we'll be hearing of any of this. I'll be interested to see if after we hang up, uh, Bob circles back with you, Alex, to do some subpoenaing <laughs> onto the council. We'd love to see that happen. Uh, definitely a lot of people have questions to answer right now. And, you know, I think that there are more questions than answers at this point. And, you know, people need to keep asking them and stay on this. I know the nation will probably move on to the next craziness, but this is going to reverberate here in Tennessee and Nashville for a long time to come. So let's stay on them. And I appreciate what you're both doing. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Appreciate Take care, both of you. Take care. All right. So that was Alex and Councilman Mendez. Really appreciate both of them coming on here. I know everybody's got a lot of questions about what's been going on. 
The report is by Natalie Allison of the Tennessean. It's out there. It's essentially says that the girlfriend called the cops, had two guns. She said she didn't want him. They found her sitting on the porch with two unloaded guns nearby. She said she didn't want him to have the gun. She, the, the lawyer said he knows what he's doing. He's capable of making a bomb. Uh, there was an RV behind the house, but it was fenced off. So they basically just left. They just left. And that's documented. There's a report about it. And that report came out through a FOIA request in the aftermath. We've been getting fed a lot of, you know, I don't want to say fluff because that's disrespectful, but the focus has been on the courage and her heroism of the officers. And rightly so. We're not blaming the officers for this. The officers, as you can see in the video that we posted yesterday that came out, the body cam video, they stayed calm under pressure. It was courageous. No question. They deserve all the credit in the world for that. But the department itself seems to clearly have heard of this guy before. They must have known the minute this happened, who this was. And either TBI was covering for them or they didn't share with TBI that this guy had been on their radar because in the aftermath, TBI said he was not on our radar. They they said those words. So one of two things is true. He was on their radar and they were lying or Metro Nashville Police Department had not told them. Either one of those things is problematic and there's an answer somewhere and somebody needs to get that answer and give it to us. And, you know, this is one of those situations where what's really at stake is the faith in the department, the faith in the system. And if you want to protect the faith in that system, you need to be forthcoming and tell the truth and the greater good will be served by it, even if somebody here personally is at fault and needs to go find another line of work. We need the answers. It's bigger than any one person. This is not just your average everyday you know, crime. This is something that we will remember for the rest of our lives. And we need to know why it wasn't prevented and if it could have been prevented. And then as Alex was saying, we need to know what they're going to do now to prevent this from happening the next time. And I'm seeing a lot of people talk about how white people get the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely true. I saw another tweet that I think is going fairly viral that we just shared on Twitter by a woman in Minnesota saying, when are we going to believe women when they tell us that these men are dangerous? It's a great question. You know, was this woman discounted because she was a girlfriend? You know, it's just enough has gone on that we need to start erring on the side of caution. And I know that there's, you know, a fine line between erring on the side of caution and violating people's rights, but we never seem to make that distinction when it comes to Muslims or black people or marijuana, you know, it's only when it comes to the rights of like weapons holding white guys that we start going, wait a minute, you're violating my rights, freedom, liberty, this and that. Well, that actually has a cost and that cost is now very visible down on Second Avenue in in Nashville. And you can go look at that cost in person and see what it does when we don't err on the side of caution. I'm all for rights. I'm all for liberty and freedom. I'm also for erring on the side of caution. And if you've got a guy who the neighbors say is quiet and, you know, never talks to anybody, he's got an antenna, a huge antenna and security cameras everywhere. And his girlfriend is saying, this guy knows how to make bombs. Yeah, that should be enough to at least take a look and monitor the situation. And in this situation, it wasn't. And now we have... Uh, uh, evidence of what happens. I see 
to Lee saying, I'm glad the holler is here as a platform for sharing information. Thank you. Jeff Henry says, thank you, Bob Mendez, for calling it terrorism. We really appreciate all of you guys following us. And yeah, this is a good question from Judith. Are there more bomb makers out there? They're not investigating. Really scary. It's a fair question. Are there bomb makers out there whose girlfriends have said, hey, that guy likes to make bombs and shouldn't have weapons. And they're just going, well, you know, freedom, liberty, you know, that that's not an answer. And so we need to be asking these questions. I know Councilman Mendez is going to keep speaking out. Alex Little, you should follow him too. And we're going to keep doing what we do. We now have haulers across the state because of you. Thank you so much for supporting us. Chip in monthly if you can, even a few bucks goes a long way. We just launched a Murray County hauler. We've got Knoxville hauler, Memphis hauler, haulers all across the state. And I'm not kidding when I say you make that possible. So thank you for that. And thank you for checking us out. We'll be back tomorrow, Thursday, 2 p.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays, 2 p.m. We do our hauler hour and we'll see you then.